0: Turning your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. We started looking at this a few weeks ago. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning of verse 10, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. We reminded ourselves a few weeks ago that we are engaged in a spiritual battle. And we are in this battle whether we like it or not. As soon as you become a believer or as soon as you are born, you're engaged in a spiritual battle. Perhaps you become aware of it when you become a believer. But we are in this battle. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. There's a spiritual battle going on and we are the playing field. Our world is the playing field in which this battle takes place. And not only that, but... We reminded ourselves a couple of weeks ago that God has given us everything we need, everything that we are required to have to go into this battle. We're not sent out naked into the battlefield. We're not standing there with nothing on going, well, here I am, but I have nothing with which to fight. God has given us everything that we need. He's given us the armor of God, Ephesians reminds us. It's there. And we said it's kind of like hanging up in your wardrobe. The question is, have you put it on? Have you taken it off the hanger, stuck it on before you go out into battle? How many of us this morning, when we got up, said, You know what, Lord, this morning I'm going to put on my armor before I get out of bed. I realize I'm engaged today in a spiritual battle. I'm going to church, yes but the battle rages on all around me. Therefore, I'm going to take it off the hangar. Before I get out of bed, I'm going to put on the helmet of salvation. I'm going to tie up the belt of truth. I'm going to put on the feet, the sandals. I'm going to put on the breastplate. I'm going to take up my shield and my sword. Now I'm ready to go. Did you do that? Do you remember we said last time I said to you, how many of you would go to the front door, open it with nothing on, and go, hello? And the JWs are standing there. You know, or whoever, the salesman. You don't do that. You get dressed first. Then why do we not get dressed? Why do we not get used to every morning before we get out of bed saying, Lord, I'm going to first of all put on underneath my normal clothes, I'm going to put on your spiritual armor before I get going today. And Lord, the last thing I'm going to do before I go to sleep tonight is I'm going to put it back on the hanger and get it ready for the next morning. We need to get into that mindset we said last time of, what we, of how we live our lives. We shouldn't go through our lives spiritually naked because God has given us everything we need. And we're going to look at those over the next few weeks. Now the first one he says, look at verse 14. Stand firm then, he says, and the most important item of equipment is the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Number one, he says, forget about swords and spears and shields and helmets and all the glossy stuff. The most important thing, he said, you need to put on, first of all, is that belt of truth. Now, we don't normally think like that, do we? I don't get up in the morning and I don't go and look in my cupboard and I go, now, I wonder which belt I'm going to wear today. I have two belts, a brown belt and a black belt. You know, And the black belt's not the judo kind, it's just a black belt that I'm wearing right now because I've got black trousers on. I just kind of pick up and, to be honest, I just stick it on anyway. Whichever one comes to hand first. Then I might go, now what color shirt am I going to wear today? Am I going to wear the black with a nice little white thing down the front? Or am I going to wear the, you know? And we start thinking. But Paul here says the, the most important thing is that belt of truth. Buckled around your waist. Now, I've got a picture for you, if we can put it up. Okay, there's some hard looking guy. That's the full armor that a Roman soldier used to wear. And you can see the belt around the middle. That's the thing with the tassels hanging down. That is the belt of truth. I think we've got a close up of the belt in the next picture. There you go. Now, why does Paul say that one is first? Well, it's the most important because, as you can see from here, actually it holds everything in place. It keeps the tunic in place, for starters. You have this long tunic that they used to wear. It's like at school sports days. You know at the school sports days, one of the, the funnest events for the guys to watch is the the mother's race at school sports day. Because there are women that come who are quite athletic, but they always come in these nice... Floral dresses. But that doesn't stop them, does it? What do they do with the dress? Well, you can't run in a nice dress, can you? I mean, not that I've tried, but I assume you can't. Right? So what do they have to do to run? Well, you have to kind of you lift it up, don't you? And it looks like a big nappy that they're wearing by the time. Or they grab it at the side and shift it up and, you know, have to hold on to it. Well, in the same way in the Roman soldier The belt holds in the tunic that is around them so that you could actually lift it up and tuck it in if you need to and get going at any great rate of knots. And so the belt is really important for that. It keeps the garments, just as it keeps our clothes in place as well. Apparently I heard, I think this is a true story, in the United States recently, there was a thief that broke into a shop and he stole one of those big widescreen TVs. And there was an off-duty policeman that saw him and shouted out to him as he was running out and the alarm bell went off because he'd smashed the front glass, carried this thing. And he was one of these young, trendy kind, right? And as he started running down and the policeman started shouting stop after him, he was one of these guys with the trousers, you know, that you spend a lot on your underwear, I realise that, so you have to show it off sometimes, right? But as he ran down the street, what happened? His trousers ended up falling down around his ankles and he fell over and he had to make a decision whether he's going to drop the widescreen TV and pull his trousers up to keep running away from the policeman or whether he was actually... And he ended up, he didn't want to let go of the TV, so he ended up kind of shaking his feet like this with his trousers around his ankles and the copper nicked him. We need that belt because the tunic or the the, the clothes that we wear, they need to be tight. Not only that, but you can see also that the breastplate is tied in as well with the belt. The breastplate that covers the front of the uniform, the belt goes over the top of that and it's like a kind of round a coat. So you're keeping that tight and so it holds everything together. And not only that, but also the sword and the dagger and so on hang off. It's one of the most important, it's a central piece of equipment. If you don't have that belt on as a Roman soldier, everything else just is loose, flaps around, is no good at all. But it keeps it all tight and keeps it all together. And so Paul says, just as in a Roman soldier, so that the belt of truth, he says, is the most vital weapon for a believer. Someone said this, the strength of a believer lies not in their experience, not in their prayer life, not in their fellowship, but on the truth. And Jesus said the same thing. Turn in your Bibles to to, uh, John 8. What does Jesus say about the truth? In John chapter 8, verse 30, 31. You'll notice. He said, to the Jews who have believed him, Jesus said, if you hold on to my teaching... You are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. And what will the truth do? The truth will set you free. You want a free life? You want life in all its fullness? Then you need to know the truth, Jesus says. It's the truth, the word of God, his teaching, that is the one way that you are going to be set free in your life. No amount of anything else can accomplish it. Jesus said, it is through holding on to my teaching." Knowing the truth that you can be free to live your life as God wants you to lead it. And as I said earlier, look over in chapter 16 of John's Gospel. We're not left alone. One of the works of the Holy Spirit is to teach us. John 16 verse 13. Jesus said, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So Jesus is saying, you know what? It's best that I go away because I can teach you here. But when I go, I'm going to send you the spirit of truth. The spirit who knows all about the truth, who is truth. And he will teach you. He will guide you. He will help you to know all the truth. Not just some of it, but all of it. He's going to teach it to you. So he said, I'm going to send someone, my spirit, that is going to have that role of teaching you truth. Jesus said truth is so important. Paul said it again in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. He says, We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, express, expressing spiritual truths In spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them. Because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things. But he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So he's saying that the Spirit again gives us that truth, that understanding that comes, that mind of Christ that comes, that we have access to when we put on the belt. Now you notice too that the belt is one of those pieces of equipment that goes right round, doesn't it? This belt that holds up my trousers wouldn't be much use if it only went round the halfway. If I didn't, if it just was there for show. And the half of the half wasn't really there at all. Well, you don't really see the back because I don't turn around too often. So what's the point in having it the other side? You can have, you know, you, get, you can buy those things with these humongous belt buckles, can't you? Really, it's just a bit of show and they don't do anything. But for a belt to actually work, it has to be tied tight and it goes right round you. And we need that because as we saw last time, this spiritual battle that we're in, We have an enemy that likes to use those different tactics that we looked at. Deception, doubt, discouragement, diversion, delay and defeat. But if we have the belt of truth, we have truth that completely surrounds us. That completely protects us. It goes right round. It's not like a shield that you can only point in one direction at a time. The belt of truth is right around us. God's truth encompasses us, protects us. And it must be God's belt. Isaiah 11 verse 5 talks about the belt being like righteousness, a sash like faithfulness surrounding us. It is God's belt that we need to put on. It is his belt of truth. And So the question is, well then how do we surround it? How do we actually take that belt off the hanger spiritually and put it on? What have we got to do? We're well, turning your Bibles to Psalm 119. We're not going to read the whole Psalm, you might be thankful. But it is one of the most amazing Psalms. It is incredible. Psalm 119, we'll read from verse 1. Because this tells us how we are to put this belt of truth on. Psalm 119 really is all about the truth of God. It says this Blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong, they walk in his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees! Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart. As I learn your righteous laws, I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes. As one rejoices in great riches, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. We could just keep going on and on, but we'll stop there. The first thing that it says we need to do, if we're going to have this belt of truth, is to study, to memorize, to seek to understand, to train ourselves in the word of God. Verse 13. With my lips I recount all the laws That come from your mouth. Now, how many of the laws of Christ could you recount right now? How many of them are in there that you, because you have learned them and you filter them, and they're ready at your fingertips? Do you know the law of God? Have you got it there? Is it there within you? Look at verse four. You have laid down your precepts that are to be fully obeyed. If we don't know them, how can we fully obey them? We need to know what God is requiring of us, what God is asking us to do so that we can obey them. They do no wrong. Verse 3, they walk in his ways. Why? Because they know his laws, they know what he requires of us and they're willing to walk in it. We need to study God's word, continually study, continually memorize. Continue to seek to understand God's word more and more and more. Verse 12, praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. We need to keep on learning. Verse 16, I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Now, learning God's word is not easy. It's not a simple thing. But it is a thing that we have the Holy Spirit that helps us. But also it is a matter really of priorities. We can learn anything we want to learn, but we need to prioritize. You need to put the time and the energy into doing that. If you want to learn how to bake, you need to go practice baking. You need to study it. You need to get the books out. You need to look it up on Google or say like, how am I going to do this? Inika asked me a few days ago, I said, what what would you like for supper? She said, let's have a, uh, uh, I can't think what it was now. It was um, something I didn't know how to cook anyway, right? Chili, that's what it was. Chili con carne. I never made a chili before. Quite simple, I know. Reasonably simple. She had faith in me to make it. But I thought, how do you make a chili? I've never made a chili. So what do you do? Well, you get your iPad out and you Google and you go on the BBC app that tells you how to make chili. And then I looked down and I saw the ingredients that had all been there and I went, yeah, I'll do this, I can do this and I'll try it out. And you practice and you follow and you learn how to do it. And it turned out to be an edible chili at the end of it. It was all right. Why? Because I took time to study and to try and learn how to do it. I didn't just go, oh, I don't know how to do chili. No, let's forget about chili Let's just do beans on toast. I can handle beans on toast. <laughs> if you stay within your limitations, you never grow, do you? It's only because I accepted the challenge and I said, okay, I've never done it before. I've seen Enika make it hundreds and hundreds of times. She will always probably make a better chili than I can make. But I'll give it a go. Let me get the help that I need to know how to do it. Then, then try it. And it's the same with the Word of God. How much time are we willing to spend? How much time are we willing to spend learning, memorizing, allowing it to to get into us so that we can understand the Word of God? Do we allow just 45 minutes, half an hour on a Sunday and go, well, that's that's my my learning for the week. That's going to top me up, top my battery up. Or actually, as God says, we need to keep doing it. We need to keep learning, keep reading, keep seeking understanding. You know what I would love as a pastor? I would love on a Tuesday morning when I come into work, the phone to be ringing and a whole queue of people outside the door going, you know what I was reading the other day? I didn't understand it. Can you tell me? I've been here 16 years. This has never happened. Maybe once or twice. Twice. But surely, if we were reading, if we were really seeking to understand, we would have question after question after question after question about God's word, wouldn't we? I do. So I'm sure you must have. I did a course. I'll never forget it. Luke's Gospel in college. The guy said, the professor up the front, Doctor Henry, uh, Doctor Hindereger. He said, "Okay, Luke's Gospel." And we all had our pens ready and our paper ready, blank sheet ready to take down his pearls of wisdom. He said, "Somebody start reading at verse one." Well, this is a bit unusual. You've got to read the thing. So we started reading, and then after about five verses, he stopped and he says, "Okay, stop there. Anybody got any questions? Any comments?" We went, "This is this is not how you do it. This is not. You're supposed to be telling us what we need to know. We're not supposed to be." like really engaging in this we're just supposed to be writing down what you need to tell us he says no okay let's keep on reading and so we read a little bit more and then he said okay let's stop there any questions any comments and we all went is this gonna be we could be over in about two classes we could have the rest of the semester off but then somebody said yeah i don't understand this bit i don't understand this bit i don't understand how that fits with that bit you know, it was one of the most memorable studies I've ever done. Because we got into the text, we engaged with it, we, we put ourselves, every class, into the Word of God. And the questions just kept flowing and flowing and flowing and flowing. And we had a professor that knew his Bible backwards. And he'll say, he would just go, "Go to Isaiah chapter 35 verse 12," and that would be the answer to our question, because he spent his life reading and studying and seeking to understand. And he encouraged us in that same process. I did it once here at a 9:30 service. We read the lesson, and I just stood up and I said, "What questions have you got?" That was the sermon. And they went, what? You're supposed to tell it? I said, no, no. What questions have you got? I haven't got a sermon. I'll just answer your questions. If you haven't got any, you can answer mine. That got them worried. And then I said, you know what? You've not really read the text, have you? I said, let's read it this time. Because what you did was you opened the Bible. Somebody came out the front. They read it. You kind of followed along, but your brain was somewhere else. And I said, this time we'll read it together together. Tell me what questions you've got. Really read it. And we spent the next half an hour unpacking the text together with questions and discussions and so on. What does it mean to have the belt of truth? Did you know? Why didn't you come and ask after the last sermon that we did on it? Do you know what the breastplate is? Why didn't you come and ask? Did you go and look it up? You see, Paul is saying, or or the the author here is saying in the Psalms, we need to allow it to filter into us, to study it, to memorize it, to understand it, to train ourselves in it so that we have it there with the Holy Spirit working in us. Is it a priority in your life? For the psalmist, it was a priority. What about for you and for me? Second thing we have to do, it says here, is we have to reflect upon it. Look at verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's not just about the reading. It's about reflecting upon it. It's allowing that word to take root deep within us. It's kind of like chewing it over and over and over and over. I remember when I was in Uganda years and years and years ago. I had this dream. Like every day in Uganda, we had a, a staple menu of beans and quan, which was like maize flour or millet flour. That was it. And at night time, I used to dream of pizzas. Don't ask me why. I could have, you know, gone a bit upmarket. But I dreamed for a year. I just one thing I wanted. I had to check I wasn't pregnant. I had all these cravings, you know. But I wanted pizza, right? And when I, when I got out of Uganda, we, we drove out and we got to Nairobi. All of a sudden, Nairobi is a big city. I went, there's got to be a pizza place here. And I went and I found this pizza restaurant. And I went in and I ordered this huge pizza. And I just went, oh, this is what I've been dreaming of for a year. And I ate this whole pizza. You know, for the next fortnight, I was burping up bits of pizza. It was the worst. It was so oily that my stomach was so used to the kind of the, the beans and the, the rice or the kwan in Uganda that it couldn't take the oil of the pizza. And I was regurgitating it, but because I dreamt about it, I wasn't gonna waste any. So you know, for a week I was just re-chewing pizza. Over and over again. That is what it's supposed to be like with God's Word, right? We're not supposed to just read it on a Sunday, go away and go, oh, I've done my bit and I'm off. We're supposed to be regurgitating it all week. So you're there and you're getting a bit of indigestion and a bit of God comes up, a bit of Bible comes up and you chew it over again and then it settles back down and then it comes back up again and then you chew it over a little bit more. What does the belt of truth this week really mean for you. Keep regurgitating it throughout your week, in every situation that you find yourself in. What does it mean to have the belt of truth buckled around your waist? Keep chewing on it. Keep working with it in every situation. Keep it in the utmost of your mind. Keep it like that pizza, recycling over and over and over again. You'll never look at pizza the same way, I'm telling you. But, it, but he's saying here, I, I have it deep inside. I've hidden your word in my heart. It's right in the very core of who I am. That is what it should be like. You know, on a Sunday, I should be able to say to anybody, I should be able to say to, you know, to you, say, come out the front, tell us what God has been regurgitating in your life right now. And without hesitation, you should be able to go, yeah, I can do that. I can just do that because I know, because it's just keeping coming up and over and over and over again. We should be like that because his word is just chewing over in us like that. Third thing we need to do is to live it. Look at verse 9 and 10. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. We need to then put it into practice. It's no good leaving that belt hanging on the hanger. You've got to put it on. And what does that really mean? What does it mean to have the belt of truth in our lives? So turn in your Bibles. There's a great example in Numbers. I wonder when the last time you looked in the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 13. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers not just about Numbers. We're not going to read it all. But here, this is where the people of Israel have now left Egypt, remember? And they've crossed over the sea. It's all opened up, walked across, closed up. Egyptians have all got squashed under the water. They've walked around Mount Sinai. They've got the uh, the Ten Commandments and they've gone on and they get up to a place called Kadesh Barnea. And when they get there, Moses gets two from all the tribes, 24 guys, and he sends them out as scouts to go, go into the land of Canaan where we're going, check it out for us. And they go out and they check out what they see and they come back and they report. Let's look at Numbers chapter 13. And we're going to look at verse 30. This is the report they give. Let's let's go from verse 27. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here it is fruit. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they'd explored. They said the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size, We saw the Nephilim, their descendants of Anak, come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we look the same to them. You see what's going on. Now, what did God promise the people of Israel? What was his word to the people of Israel? He said, leave Egypt, go to the land I'm going to show you. I'm going to give it to you. It's yours. Go take it. And they get to Kadesh, right on the border. And what happens? He says, let's go check out this land that God has given to us. And out of those 24 guys that go out, 22 of them come back going, oh my goodness, it's beautiful. But there's a small, well, there's a very large problem. There's these towering guys that live there. We're never going to get anywhere. Two of them come back and say, you know what? God made a promise to us. God gave us his truth and we need to go forward on that truth. And what happened here? A whole generation had to die because they did not follow the truth of God. They followed their own truth. They did not put on the belt of truth. They left it hanging on that hanger. They should have put it on and said, you know what? David defeated Goliath. We can defeat these guys, not because we are stronger, not because we are more important, but because God has said that is what's going to happen. And we need to go forward because of that. They should have listened to Caleb and to Joshua instead of listening to everybody else. Then a whole generation and 38 years of wandering wouldn't have had to happen for that generation to die out before they went all the way back around, came back to here and then went forward into the promised land. Same people were still there, but the descendant Israel had changed and those people that rejected the truth of God died out. And a new generation came forward that said, I am going to build our lives. We're going to depend on the truth of God, not on the truth of humanity. And that is what it is to have the belt of truth. We need to live it. You know, I go to so many places where you see the church, and the church is there, and it's struggling. And what do you hear from people? They say to me, well, you know, it's very difficult where we live because because our neighbors, they're, they're not Christians. And I'm like, what? And yeah, they... You know this the neighborhoods changed so much and and there's a there's a lot of Hindus and Muslims coming into our community and and so our church is struggling and I'm going like, okay you've got the truth of yourself or the truth of God, which are you going to follow? The truth of yourself says yeah that's true you've got a lot of non-believers living next door. The truth of God said is that I brought you a whole mission field. Now go and evangelize them, and your church will grow. And I will use your church as a vehicle to transform that community. Which truth are you going to believe in? You want to know why the church in Britain is dying in many places? It's because they believe that truth about themselves, the same as the people of Israel. Oh, these people coming into our area. I'm going, fantastic. It means we don't have to get a bus pass to go and evangelize. We can go next door and do it there tell people about jesus christ you know some people say yeah but you know we look at ourselves and we go but i'm not worthy who am i i struggle with esteem issues well hello we all struggle with esteem esteem issues every one of us i've never met a person except jesus christ that didn't have a self-esteem problem do you know that Some of us hide it by being bold and outspoken. Other people hide it by saying, I'm not worthy. But we all suffer because we're all fallen. Every one of us. I've never met someone who hasn't had a negative image about themselves. It's being redeemed, but it hasn't been fully redeemed in the sense until we meet Christ face to face. But we can take that and say, well, I can't do anything because look at me, I I can't do it. I've got esteem issues. Or we can look at God's word in Psalm 139, which says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God knit you together. And do you think he knits together rubbish? No, he knits together perfection and beauty and everything else that he wants. Which truth are you going to have in your life? Are you going to believe the lie that tells you that you're not good enough? Or are you going to believe the truth of God's word, which says I can do all things through you. I created you beautiful. I created you as I want you to be. I put everything I wanted to put inside of you and I want to accomplish all these amazing things through you. Which truth are you going to allow to ruin or to to run your life? Because one will ruin it and one will bring blessing and favor because you're walking in the way of God. What about discouragement? Discouragement? All of us get discouraged. All of us come to the point of wanting to give up. When we get to that point, what do we do? Do we just fold? Or do we look in the Bible again and we trust the truth? Philippians 4. What does God say? I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Do we have that promise of God in our hearts so that when we come to those moments of discouragement, which voice are we going to listen to inside of us? You know, too many people, too many of us have not put on that belt of truth or we're not using it in our daily lives. We get discouraged and we go, oh, I'm going to give up on that. Instead of saying, you know what? Satan, get out of my life. Get out of my head get out of everything because I know that he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. I know that with Christ, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And we keep going because we know that is the truth that God has implanted in us. You know, I told you, we are the battleground. We are. Your head is the battleground. And for too long, we as Christians Have believed the lie that this world has been telling us instead of the truth that the gospel tells us. You look at the people that have transformed the world for Jesus Christ. You look at the disciples, a complete bunch of losers. They were useless. Everything in the Gospels tells you how rubbish they really were. They didn't understand Jesus. They couldn't perform miracles. They didn't, I mean, they did, and then they got proud. They started arguing amongst themselves. They had no clue. And yet they transformed the globe. There are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of believers coming to know Jesus Christ today because they believed enough of who Jesus is to allow God to use them. Fishermen and tax collectors and and just normal people. Everybody in the Bible is just a normal guy or a normal girl that God says, I'm going to use you because they believed. They put on that belt of truth and they believed in more in what God can do in them and through them than they believed in what the world is saying to them. And we need to be the same people. That's what it means to have the belt of truth going on. Are you going to be fearful about things? How many of you got things in your life that you're afraid of right now? That you're worried about right now? Yeah, I am. I got things. And are we going to get captivated by that fear? Or are we going to listen to the word of God in Joshua 1.9 that says, I have commanded you to be strong and courageous. Why? Because I, the Lord your God, am with you. Wherever you go. Which truth are you going to believe in today? Which one? You have the choice. God gives you that choice. And you need to wake up every morning and, say, and put it back every night and say, today, Lord, I'm going to put on the belt of truth. I'm going to put on your belt of your truth around my life. And I'm not going to allow any other truth to come in. Your truth will define how I live today. Your truth will define my goals, my objectives, my accomplishments. That is where I'm going to live. That is how this church is going to live. We're not going to be surrounded by the truth of this world. We're going to be surrounded by the truth of God. And what God can see and do in us and through us. You know, that's exactly what Jesus did, isn't it? When Jesus was in the wilderness... What did he do when Satan came to him? What did he say? Satan came to him, tempted him in all these different ways. What did he do? He quoted scripture. He quoted the promises of God. What did he do? He effectively said, I've got the belt of truth on. I am going to use that truth because you cannot stand up against the truth of God. And so we need to do the same thing. Learn Bible, why do you think we spend so long going through the Bible over and over again? You know, we're nearly finished our next journey through the whole scriptures, we just got revelations to go. And when we get to the end, we'll probably take a short break and then we're going to start all over again. And say, You want to come and join us? You want to read God's word with us? Then come join us. We're going to read it together. We're going to start again in Genesis. Why? Because every time I read it through over and over and over again. God teaches me new things. New promises comes into my life. New things come in. I see things in a different way because I'm in a different place. And so I'm just going to keep learning and learning and learning until I go and meet with him. And we need to do the same thing. We're, We're starting up home groups across the church. Go join one when we start them. Why? So that you can learn with others. Make it a priority in your life to learn God's word. And not only to learn it, but to live it out And to be accountable to others and saying, how are you doing in putting the belt of truth on in your life? Are you doing that regularly? Or are you living in the lie that the world wants to teach you? That the enemy wants to rule in your life? Live your life with the belt of truth. Jesus did it and accomplished our salvation. The disciples learned how to do it and so spread the gospel throughout the world. Men and women and children have done it ever since and that is why the kingdom of God has come and continues to grow in our world around us. And he wants you and he wants me to continue to do that so that he can accomplish everything he has in store for us. But we can only do that if we have that belt firmly buckled around our waist. We're going to sing in a minute. We're going to sing that song again that we just sung. Can't even remember it. Christ is my reward. That one. No turning back, no turning back. I want you to think while the band is coming up. I want you to think about your life right now. I want you to think about whether there are things in your life that actually you are struggling with because you are not resting on the truth of God. You're not resting on what he is saying to you. You are just wrestling with those things because you have got them in your mind and you're working with them under your understanding, under the world's understanding, not under God's understanding. Have you got the belt of truth firmly wrapped around your waist? Is everything that you are doing, laying it out there, giving that, saying, Lord, this is yours. I'm going to rely on your promises. Even when the world around me looks crazy, I'm going to rely on your promises. I'm going to go and take that promised land because it's what you've promised for me. I'm going to go and move forward with confidence because it's what you've promised. Rather than just trying it in your own strength, in your own fears, maybe your own esteem issues or whatever it is, As we sing this, we'll just sing it quietly. But as we do that, bring those issues. Just stay seated. Close your eyes. Bring those issues to God. Just sing it to yourself as a prayer to God. I have decided today to follow Jesus, which means I've decided to put that belt of God's truth around my life. That all these situations, all these fears, all these struggles that I have, I'm going to seek to do them God's way, not my own way, and there is no turning back. Let's just sing quietly.
1: Christ is my reward and all of my devotion. Now there's nothing. In this world That could ever satisfy Through every trial, My soul will say No turning back I've been set free Christ is enough for me. Christ is enough for me. Everything I turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back, no turning back. I have the side.